Good morning, my name's Abel, and I'm on the community team, which is our adult small groups team, and we help people at our church belong, grow, serve, and multiply. And uh, one of my teammates is Kelly Prude. Kelly and I have known each other for a long time. Kelly and his family moved here 19 years ago, and um, I got to know him because I was his oldest son, small group leader, when I was in student ministry. And so... We got to know each other, and we've gotten to do some fun stuff together. Kelly and I have ridden camels together in Jordan, so that's cool. We went to Guatemala together, and probably the most cultural experience we've done together a number of times is Demolition Derby in Springdale. So, um, I think about 16 of them, actually. Good, yeah. good yeah. times. Yeah. A couple of years ago, Kelly uh, came up to me and said, hey, uh, I'm going to redeploy and we know we, if at Fellowship, we got to use the word redeploy. We don't use retire because Dick Nervig is somewhere, um, and he might fly off the top rope and give a flying elbow uh, if we use the word retire. So Dick's always telling us, just because you finish your working career, you're still on God's mission. So redeploy. So Kelly said, I'm redeploying. Do you have something I can do at Fellowship? I said, Absolutely. Would you lead our Discover Fellowship process? And he's done a tremendous job recruiting leaders, training leaders, putting together small groups, communicating with leaders and small groups. And so, super grateful for you. You've done a great job. Um, and so, tell us about Discover this fall. What do we got coming? Yeah, it's coming up again on 9-11. That's an easy date to remember. There will be two large groups that will meet over in the Great Room, which is over in the FSM building. And then after that, six small groups. They'll meet during the week um, in people's homes. So it's just a, it's a great time to meet somebody. If you're new here, it's a great way to kind of get plugged in and find out the DNA of fellowship and uh, get, get connected to a small group. If you need child care, we even have um, groups that will meet on Sunday morning. And so that way we can just use the child care that's going on here. So... Um, if you want to, yeah, you're going to go ahead. You're going to say something about signing up for it. Yeah, Discover <laughs> is, uh, is what we recommend kind of first step. If you're new to fellowship and you're looking to engage and plug in, we recommend Discover. It's just a great, great way to plug in. Um, how, how do, if I wanted to register, how do I do that? Thank you for asking. Mm -hmm. You just put, point your little phone up there on the QR code, or you can go to fellowship nwa slash Bentonville and sign up in there. Be sure you put the day of the week that you want to meet, and then any special requests, we'll try to uh, help you with that. Like, uh, we want to be with another couple, or we want, to, we want this group to be together. We'll, we'll, we'll try to make that happen for you. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, why would you recommend uh, people go through Discover? What would, what would be the heart behind it? Hmm. Um, you know, in my career, we moved all over the country, and one of the things that was so important to us that we get plugged into a church very quickly, and uh, we did that through community groups. So this is a great opportunity. If you're new to Bentonville or if you've been here a while and you're not in a community group, it's a way to get connected to people, and um, it just that's where life happens. And so I think that was one of the successes that we had moving around the country was just being plugged in very quickly and having a place that you can call home and it. Discover is just, it teaches you about who fellowship is, what, like I said, our DNA, and teaches you about, um, you know, who we are as a group of believers, and then it gives you a chance to get plugged in. There's so many opportunities, uh, but it gives you a chance to, to, to serve here if, you, if that's what you want to do. 
Excellent, excellent. If you've already been through Discover and looking to plug into a community group, now is the time. As you all know, fall is uh, kind of the beginning of our ministry year. So a lot of groups form in the fall and then meet throughout the rest of the year. So we would love to help you get connected to a community group. You can stop by the community booth after the service and, uh, and fill out some stuff. And we'd love to help you get connected if you've already done Discover. Let me pray for our morning. Lord, it's an exciting time. Thank you for the start of a new school year. Thank you for new beginnings. Thank you for um, all the new people you've brought here to Fellowship Bentonville. Lord, pray that we would steward them well, that we would uh, help people get connected really well. Lord, we uh, are grateful that we get to gather together as one small local body um, in Arkansas and praise your name. And we want to do that starting now. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. Most of you came back. Awesome. Hey, this morning we're going to observe communion together um, before the teaching. And so I wanted to just give us a, a little bit of a, a forecast of where we're going. So over the next three weeks, we're going to explore God's heart. What does God want for me and for you? What is his desire for us as a church? And what is his desire for our city? Um, and so that's, that's kind of the next three weeks. And so this week, we're talking about what does God want for you? What does God want for me? And um, communion feels very appropriate because before we can talk beyond this, we have to get this one right because this is what he really wants for us first and foremost is to be reconciled. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So this is what God wants. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I like the New Living Translation. It says, come back to God. Come on back. That's what repentance is. So be reconciled to God. And then he gives he shows us this is how, this is what makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so as the, as the, the elements pass this morning, I invite you to hold them and to contemplate just what Jesus did for you um, and then we will take together after we sing a few songs. How great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain i could not climb in desperation i turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness Saw through the shadows of my soul The 
is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? God of ages, step down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross is spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior. I'm yours. 
Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you think it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, we love you. And uh, as we reflect on your goodness, not just in your sacrifice, but in your daily life with us, we can't help but be grateful uh, for all of it. So thanks for meeting us here uh, this morning. Thanks for the work that you're doing, even before this morning, to lead us into here, God, stirring in our hearts. And I pray that you would continue to do so, that we would be attentive to what you're teaching us, where you'd have us go, and who you are. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I'll grab a seat. Well, there are uh, rhythms and patterns in pretty much everything we do, all, all things around us, too. You know, growing up in West Memphis, uh, especially in the 90s, it was a rap and hip-hop culture, so rhythm was a big deal, and so I tried to learn to rap. That didn't work, and so... Instead, I just learned to like tap everything and always create rhythms and beats with anything I do. Still to this day, like if I pull up to a red light, flip that blinker on, oh man, I'm jamming out to the blinker. Just that steady rhythm uh, gets me. And I tend to see rhythms and patterns pretty much in everything around me. Even on Sunday mornings, if you ever notice rhythms to the way that we do our services. We, we, we try to get creative, so when things get too routine, we have someone trip a fire alarm, right, so that... It really catches you off guard, but y'all probably noticed there's a rhythm to what we do. There's usually some type of welcome, an invitation into worship with some teaching and some other sections of worship with a commissioning at the end. Even worship songs. Have you ever noticed the rhythm within Christian worship songs? How a lot of them tend to kind of follow the same pattern of verses that get us into the life of the story, then to a chorus that's usually the highest and the loudest, and then maybe a verse and a chorus, and then bridge, 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 to big chorus to end. Teachers, we get in rhythms. Y'all probably can predict things that we're going to do, right? I always try to start with trying to capture your attention to create a felt need, which is what I'm doing with showing you rhythms are everywhere right now. And then we might go to three points and a conclusion. All that to say, we do it maybe because we're creatures of habit, but also because we find that rhythms are good and that certain things work and they help us see the beauty of God and be commissioned out, and be inspired to actually like go live for him on a day-to-day -day basis. But it's not just in here. There are rhythms in nature, right? If you zoom in on any part of nature, you are gonna find structure and pattern and rhythm within God's creation. Not only do science and faith in God go together, but I think biology is probably the second best piece of evidence to the fact that there is a creator. And you know what the first is? Math. 
It's probably not where you thought I was going, but I love math. I think the, the, the beauty and mystery of math is one of the things that helps me kind of understand the beauty and mystery of God. Uh, I've always loved numbers, and I was joking with someone the other day about new heaven and new earth, and if we're going to have jobs and what I think my job would be. And I was like, I think I will be on a team of people that writes math problems for the rest of the world to try to solve. <laughs> and some of you are like, we know that's not true because math will be in hell. <laughs> and you are wrong. I just want you to know you are 100% wrong. But like if you've ever like really gotten into math, there's, there's not only patterns and things that work all the time, but it transcends language, right? And, and it's stuff that we can't always see, but it just works, and there's beauty, and it's limitless, and there's mystery. I think it's really cool, and I think there are patterns. Uh, what about within our city, our community, city of Bentonville? Are there any patterns and trends that y'all see? I've observed a few. Don't, be, don't feel shame if one of these might apply to you, but let me just tell you some of the rhythms that I see within our community. Get a good job, invest well, set up passive income, retire early. It's a rhythm. Not saying these are good or bad. I'll let you and your heart work through that. Go to work early, stay at work late, eat a quick dinner, unplug by plugging into Netflix, boot up your laptop for another two hours, go to sleep, wake up and do it again. Get married and have kids, sign them up for 12 sports each, find the one that they are the best at, go all in on a traveling team and spend thousands of dollars, and then spend time in prayer that they get a scholarship because you just spent their college fund on a travel team. <laughs> Buy a quarter acre lot with a thousand square foot house on it, bulldoze it, and somehow build a 7,000 square foot house on the same lot. Go to a coffee shop, spend six bucks on a cup of coffee, pay an extra dollar for oat milk. What is that? I don't even know. Last one, this one won't describe anyone. Uh, move close to the trails, buy a bike that you can ride on the trails, buy a second bike that you can ride on the road, buy a third bike that you can ride on a road that looks like a trail, buy a fourth bike in case one of those three bikes breaks, crash and break both of your arms, and reevaluate your life choices over the next six months. All right, I'm done. Those are, those are some of them, and I do think, you know, there, there's probably some truth, and patterns uh, help us predict things, right? When we see patterns, we can actually kind of tell outcomes of where things are headed. Some of y'all do that for a living with linear regressions and making these forecasting models to try to take these quantifiable statistics or characteristics, map them out, and see where is this thing actually going, and patterns and trends help us do that. So let me ask you. If you and I were to sit down and analyze the patterns of my life or the patterns of your life, where is that trending? Where would, where would all those statistics, those characteristics say that, that you are headed? Because patterns shape and form us. Habits shape and form us. And so not only where are we headed, but would it be in line with God's heart for our lives? Seth mentioned it, but that's where we're kind of camping for, for three weeks is taking a look at what is God's heart for, this morning is our lives, next week is our community, uh, believers, and then for our city as we live life on mission. And my goal is for us this morning just to have a slightly healthier vision of what God might be calling us into as individuals who choose to follow him. So we've got two verses this morning. 
And uh, I would love for y'all to go ahead and stand with me as we read these together. Uh, We do this not just to show respect uh, for God and his authority, uh, but to be attentive to the things that he says. And so I will read this for us. Romans 12, 1 and 2, this is from the ESV. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is God's word. Y'all can have a seat. So we're in Romans 12 just for today. Actually, I think we'll pick it up a little bit next week, but it's not a big Romans series. And so just to give you a little bit of insight, these verses are really the hinge verses of the whole book of Romans in that the first 11 chapters really focus in on doctrine and theology and things that Paul's really wanting the people of Rome to know about who God is, his design for Israel, like all of these things. And then he gets to these two verses and it hinges how we live that out, which I think is why these are kind of popular uh, verses to teach. If you've been in church for, for many years, you've probably heard these taught before because it helps us understand how do we practically live out the things that we believe about God. And so you've got Paul really focusing in, and he's saying in view of all of these mercies, the mercies of God that I've just talked about, his compassion, his love, his truth, his judgment, all of that, because of who he is, what are we to do? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is our calling as followers of Jesus, is to offer our bodies as living sacrifice. Now, this, this wording would be probably more familiar to the people originally reading it because they, they knew and had just come off of this Old Testament priestly sacrificial system, right, where because of sin, there was blood atonement needed, and so God set up this system where they could atone temporarily for their sins through animal sacrifices. And so you, you've got this wording there, but then if you'll remember in the story, Uh, of of John, especially in the beginning, when John sees Jesus coming, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the book of Hebrews explains in great detail how Christ's atonement was a once-for-all atonement, and that these sacrifices weren't needed anymore. Christ had fulfilled that aspect of the law. And so Paul's writing, he's saying, I know you've heard that, but actually you still have a sacrifice to make. It's not free and clear. Your sacrifice now, though, is yourself. It's the totality of yourself, your, your body, your mind, your decisions, your, the choices that you make, the patterns that you set up, your habits in the everyday life, right? The sleeping, the eating, the walking, the going, the coming, all of it. That's what he's calling us to. That is our act of worship, according to scripture, for Jesus. And so worship is much more than just happens in here. While this is important for formation, to be inspired, to go out and live for Jesus, What God's really calling us to is to actually live for him in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our apartment complexes, in the marketplace, in everything we do with everything we do. This is the sacrifice that he now considers holy and acceptable to him. And it's, it's, I love where it is in this text because coming off of all these 11 chapters, you see that when you have a proper understanding of who God is and the way that he operates, the way that he loves, this is the natural overflow. God, if all of that is true, you can have all of me. 
Now, we don't have a system of laws set up or an altar in here that you can come weekly and do this sacrifice, right? Because it's not a physical sacrifice uh, like they were sacrificing animals. There is a physical aspect of us offering ourselves, but what does it look like? And I think the, the second verse is what really, really puts some flesh on it for us. And there's two words I want to key in on as we study this, and it's the Greek words for conforming and transforming. They're a little bit similar, but also different. And so, Siskematizo is the, the first one, the do not be conformed. This is what God is calling us to not do, which is to mold oneself to another's pattern. So to take pre-existing patterns that are around us and actually just start mimicking those. What he calls us to is metamorpho, which is to change, it sounds like metamorphosis, to change into something completely different, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind is what he says. And so I want to look in detail at both of those. What does it mean to not be conformed to the patterns of this world? These are just three observations that I've seen um, as I've lived, but also as I've studied, and it's that confirmation for humans is our default. We are imitative by nature. We need something to copy. Uh, Abel made that joke about my children. It could have been true. They could have pulled the fire alarm, okay? As I watch them, they do certain things that I'm like, oh my goodness, that's me. And, and they have said certain things. I'm like, boys, boys, you can't say that. Where have you heard that? And they're like, you say it. And they are imitative. They, they are imitating me. And, and we constantly are looking for things around us that we can mimic, even though we pride ourselves on being creative and independent. We're all conforming to something or transforming to something in a way. And because we are sinful and fallen, our default is going to be to conform to the patterns of the world around us. Let's talk about that at a church level uh, for a second. I was asked a really big question, a bold question uh, recently, and I love bold questions. And it was this, Hunter, do you think Fellowship Bentonville will be a biblically sound church 30 years from now? I'm like, well, I can't predict the future, but with, with a lot of certainty, I'm going to say, and, and confidence, I'm going to say yes for, for one big reason. And, and I think it's the, the shared leadership model that we have here, where it's not one person leading. Because I think in a lot of ways, when, when one person is in charge and leading, it's way easier to, to slip into something like this. Because as they go, so goes the church. But I love that our elders edify each other, and they process things together, and it's going to keep a lot of things safe in a lot of regards and keep us on track with the scripture. And I think this, though, is the biggest tension in the American church right now. Is, is how do we live out this verse? Not conforming, but being transformed. A lot of the, the divisions, the arguments, um, how people interpret, how we engage with culture, a lot of it goes back to leadership trying to figure this out. And it's hard a lot of times. Not only at the church level, but also for each of us individually. How do we as believers do this? How do we live in this world and not conform to it? We not only have the patterns of the world that are against us in some ways, but we have Satan um, and all the spiritual warfare that comes from him. We have our own sinful flesh, and so it's this triad of things that are trying to pull us into this lullaby away from kingdom effectiveness. And so we, we can't conform to the patterns of the world. With that being said, let's process that a little more. I want you to remember that not everything in the world is all bad. You ever had a Mexican pizza from Taco Bell? 
it's like proof that there's a God. I'm so excited for him to come back. But we can't just assume that everything that doesn't have a Christian tag on it is of the world in the sense that it is evil. In fact, I think there's a lot of rhythms and pattern that would be separate from the church in our world that are founded on godly principles and maybe some things that we've even forgotten or that have been taken in a way. Let me give you some examples. The word inclusivity would be one of those. Inclusivity has become an anti-Christian term in a lot of ways, which is very interesting if you study the history of Jesus because he was the most inclusive person in history. He stepped into a culture that was divided by gender and by race and by power and by money and authority, and he welcomed all people of all types to himself. Another one that I see is the ability to hear other people's opinions. A trend in Christian culture is to kind of surround ourselves with people who maybe look like us or think like us or talk like us so that we can kind of hear the things that we want to hear. And much of the world's actually a lot better at empathizing and listening to people who are different than them. And the cool thing about being a believer and learning to do that is when you listen to someone's story who may not believe the same thing you do, you learn to find the intricacies of how the gospel actually applies in their life and how Jesus can meet their needs that you'll never find without listening to them. Uh, taking care of our bodies and the earth, clearly founded in scripture, right? That's a biblical thing, but much of the narrative we hear today comes from secular sources on that. Patterns of life and constant community is another one. There's something when, like, we went to the farmer's market yesterday morning or when we go to First Fridays, there's something about that in our city that I love that I think there's godly principles in there of doing life together and sitting with different people, sharing meals, having long conversations that we can kind of lose sight of sometimes. So we don't just isolate ourselves from anything in the world, but we do have to examine, am I falling into patterns that are actually taking me further away from being molded into the image of Christ? That's what we're looking for when we say do not conform to the patterns of this world. On the flip side, we have to remember that not everything in Christian culture is good. Did you know that Christians make mistakes? That churches make mistakes? And don't tell anybody, but fellowship makes mistakes a lot because we're not perfect. We follow Jesus, who is, and so we're seeking to follow him in the best way possible, but we're gonna stumble. And so there's things that get embedded within Christian culture that I think we need to be aware of as we talk about conforming to the patterns of the world. One would be cultural Christianity. Y'all probably heard that term here, but it's this idea of like, I'm in on paper, but out in life. Like you can even have my money, you can have some of these things, but you're not gonna get my time, my energy, my gifts, because I've got other things that I need to do. I just have a morality that I gotta keep up so that I can live this life and have people like me. And we see that a lot, and it's not healthy at all. I think some other things that we see are when traditions become doctrine, when we start to do things for so long over and over again that we begin to believe that they're biblical because we've lost sight of that edification process of going, hey, you see, like, this doesn't line up, and traditions can become doctrine. And then the last one that I see a lot is when people moralize preferences within the church. Um, an example of that would be school systems and how you school your children. Right, that you've got some people who say like public school is the way to go. We are called to be salt and light to a broken world. Like let's trust God with these kids and send them out and let them go live for Jesus in the schools. 
And then you've got maybe people on the other end of the spectrum who are like, I'm terrified to do that because I know what's in the world. And so what God has called us to is to homeschool and to shepherd every aspect of their growth and their learning. And guess what? Both are great. Neither of those or anywhere in between is wrong. But where we go wrong is when we moralize those and we begin to judge others for the choices that they've made. It actually causes more division than unity. And so we constantly not only have to be examining the world and are we not conforming, but let's look within and what are the things, maybe some of the things that we've slipped on. Because if God's word really is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, then that means it can speak truth into the cultural conversations of the first century and the 21st century today. And we learn to do that in healthy community with each other, which Abel will touch on uh, next week. I'm a visual learner, so the way that I generally process this with people when this comes up of how do we as Christians live in today's culture and not conform, and this is what I think we tend to think of, that we have two options. We can either assimilate into the culture and just drift with the current and we don't look any different, or we got to be completely transformed and isolate ourselves and look completely different in every way. And actually, I think both of these are conforming to the patterns of the world. I think the transformation is somewhere in the middle when we learn to personally live life daily with God in his word, reading the scripture, ingesting it, and and really dissecting it with other people in healthy community. And that's where we learn to be transformed. And so you go from do not be conformed, but we've got to hit on this, this other one, this transformation of the mind. And I really believe that this text is true, that it says you become transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can't just say don't conform and not replace it with anything. There has to be something for us to fill that void with. And I think it starts in the mind. There's actually a, a scientific term, I believe, for what Paul is talking about here. And it's called neuroplasticity. Y'all heard that term before? It's this idea that your brain can actually rewire itself and change the way that you make decisions or the way that you see things or interact with the world. And a lot of the things that help make those changes are things like habits and patterns and rhythms or traumatic events or the emotions that we experience, the relationships that we have and experience. But there's lots of things that can actually reshape the way that our mind thinks. So for believers, what Paul is calling us to to do is to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, to to rewire our brains through being in God's word, through prayer, through spending time with him, practicing uh, different spiritual disciplines. And the more we do this, the more we begin to change our brain, the easier it becomes. And so being transformed into the image of Christ is not just don't indulge in the the simple practices of this world. It's about renewing your mind to think and act in the way that Jesus does by spending time with him and allowing him to change you. And as believers, like I said, we've got the power of science working in our favor for that, but also the power of the Holy Spirit working in tandem to transform us from the inside out in a lot of ways. Um, As a man who struggled daily for over a decade with pornography, and that was a weekly, if not daily, addiction, I know this to be true. I know that the only path to freedom for me, it started in the mind, and it started with this decision and this confession and an invitation for the Holy Spirit to change completely the way that I think, the way that I view people, the way that I view women, 
And it took confession and accountability with people over time to rewire my brain to see and think differently. And if you want a, um, a simple scripture to memorize to help with this idea of rewiring your brain, Philippians 4.8, you can write that down. And it says this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely or admirable, or if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. That's what we are to fill our minds with and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. But the transformation process doesn't just happen in our mind. It has to flow into actions, right? We can't just follow Jesus theoretically. Changes us there, but then it moves into our actions and changes our lives and the physical habits and things that we do. Two transformative things for our family over the last couple of years in this regard is as God was working on my mind and my heart, I realized that a, a bunch of the junk that I was dealing with and that was clogging up my brain was coming through one source, and it was Instagram. And so I'd planned on just like taking a month off, and I'm like two years later, and I want nothing to do with it. There's part of me that, that wants to be back on for certain reasons, but I'm like, man, my mind is so much clearer when I don't have some of that stuff uh, coming in. I didn't have the maturity to handle it. And then another one for us was implementing Sabbath rest weekly. I work on Sundays. This is work for me. And so we didn't have a good rhythm. And we had to start taking Fridays to really disconnect from some things in order to connect with the Lord. But all of those decisions started with analyzing our, our hearts and my brain and the way that I was thinking and viewing the things around me. And so on the flip side of that, if you were to examine the rhythms of, of your life or of our lives, I think they can reveal a lot of the things that are going on in our hearts. And the world is watching, just like we watch the world, just like we watch every day. People are examining, going, are you really different like you say you are? And I think the only way to reach people with the same love of Jesus that has transformed us is that that love from him would infiltrate our lives in every single aspect, not just in one aspect, but in everything we do. But unfortunately, I think a lot of times the Christian narrative of living doesn't line up with, with what we say. Uh, this uh, quote from Gordon Dahl hit me hard, uh, and he says, we tend to worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. I think what he means there is that work, especially in the American culture, becomes number one. This is my everything. When someone asks about yourself, the first thing you say is, this is what I do. And it becomes our identity. And then with whatever energy we have left over, we find a craft or a skill that we like and we try to become a master at it. And then after that, if we have time, we might worship Jesus a little, a little if we can fit it in. If we don't have something scheduled, um, if something doesn't conflict. And I think a lot of the patterns that we might look at in our city, some that apply to me or to us, probably affirm this in a lot of ways. But there is good news. When we live life daily with Jesus, when we get in his word, when we practice spiritual disciplines, live life in community, over time, he rewires us and puts this back in balance. And this is probably the, the most important aspect of this transformation process that I've seen uh, in my life is that the real transformation happens in the everyday, ordinary moments of our life. And I love what the message says here. This is, message is a lot like a commentary, sometimes more than a translation, but I love what it says. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, going to work, walking around life, 
and place it before God as an offering. This is what God has called us into, this with God life. Not just the mountaintops, but the days we just wake up and we open his word, not even really wanting to, and we invite kids or roommates to sit with us and discuss. The days that we just give him those little moments before we ever step into conversations with other people and we ask him to be in it. Now, I thrive off of life-changing big moments. We like the mountaintops, right? And so let's do some math. It's going to be in heaven, so it's good to practice it now. If I were to live for 80 years, okay, 80 years, and I were to have on average six monumental moments, monumental days in my life where either it's a salvation moment or a miracle or God just like greatly alters the trajectory of my spiritual walk. If I were to have six a year, one every other month, that would be 480 what I would call days of significance that we could point to and say something big happened on that day. Now, in that same 80 years, how many days of ordinary do I have? 28,740 days. Which of these do you think is going to form and shape the man that I become? We need these moments because they fuel us to live life for God every day, and we need these moments because they teach us not to miss the significance that he has. And that's where we're formed and shaped. We're actually going to spend time pretty much all next summer diving into spiritual disciplines and following Jesus so that we can take an extended period of time to look at what, what does a life with God on a daily basis actually look like. But, but this is it. He calls us into these moments, these ordinary days, to give everything we have to him. And when we're not conforming and we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind, I love the way that Paul ends this section. He says, then you will be able to discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But here's what I would say about God's will. This is, this is the big question that we all have. What is God's will for my life? What is his desire for my life, right? God's will is not some separate thing that we need to go find, like it's hidden somewhere. He wants you to know his will. And his will is that you would know him and that you would be transformed more into the image of his son, right? The, the will is less, the will of God is less, you know, should I live in this certain home or in this certain city or take this certain job or marry this certain person? And it's more about knowing God and being transformed more into his image. And when you walk with him, that's what naturally happens. You will find yourself within the will of God. Uh, in my time working with college students when I was a student pastor, uh, I would constantly get some very similar questions from some of the guys of like, hey, should I date this girl or this girl? Should I major in this or this? Do you think it would be better to live here or here or take this internship or this internship? And I always answered them the exact same way. And I know they probably got tired of it. But I would always say, all right, tell me this. Are you walking with Jesus daily in prayer, in his word? Like, is that a part of what's forming you? Yes? Okay, great. Are you surrounding yourself with biblical community um, and, and, and wisdom to help you make this decision? Yes? Great. Just pick. Like, just make a choice. And I mean that with all respect, but what Scripture says is when we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, we will find ourselves within the will of God. And, and we want to be so in tune with him that every step we take is like he's taking that step. And we don't even have to think about it because our lives are overflowing out of our relationship with him. 
Now, I'm about to do something to end that I probably should not do, especially since we're running behind. Um, but I want us to look at a couple of options for application and how we take this away. Um, we are a very diverse body in a lot of aspects, um, age, nationalities, all sorts of stuff. And so we also have different learning styles. So I want to give you a couple of things that are honestly easy enough you could do all of them, but at least latch on to one to take with you this week of how we walk with Jesus, that with God life. The first is this idea of pondering and dwelling on something. And I put Romans 11 up here because that's right before this text that we just studied. But this idea of pondering on the greatness and beauty of God, because honestly, that is the best fuel for a with God life is understanding more about who he is and the way that he operates. And the cool thing about Romans 11 is it teaches us that a proper understanding of God is a recognition that we can't fully understand God. And that's where we start. But it fuels us to want to know him more. Uh, the second section, there's actually subpoints in this, is analyze the rhythms of your life and find something to put into practice. One small thing. Most big changes start with one small step. And I like to think through these categories, and I'll give you a quick example in my life. Um, for heart, one of the things that I try to practice is I have a heart of bitterness um, and pessimism quite a bit. I tend to see what's wrong before I see what's right. And so I've tried to practice Thanksgiving texts where I will just text someone and like actually tell them what I am thankful for about them, which I realized when I was saying in that in the last service that people were probably going, oh, that's why he sent me that text. He was mad at me or something, which is not fully true. I also send other texts, but it has been a good practice to change my heart. When I'm like frustrated, I just go, God, help me see the good, and let me encourage that person today. For mind, for me, scripture memory, I don't do it the best. I feel like my mind is fading faster than I can even realize, but man, there's nothing that renews your mind more than hiding God's word in your heart and letting it transform you while you don't even know that it's happening, because it's just taking root in the decisions that you make and the way you think. Hands, find a skill that you're good at. We all put time and energy into them. Think about ways that you could actually use those skills for kingdom work. Did y'all know we have an artisan pizza ministry at Fellowship Bentonville? Yeah, because someone said, hey, we love to make artisan pizzas. It's a gift. We've crafted it over years, and we've gotten really good at it. We make one every week for ourselves, and then we make 10 others that we freeze and give away to people. Let us know are there, if there are any needs that we can help with. It's awesome. And it's a practical way to take rhythms that they're already doing because they like to eat pizza and to help serve the body of Christ. And then body, this is one that I think kind of slips away in the Christian culture, but how can we take care of our bodies? These are the physical dwellings that, that the Holy Spirit dwells in, but that God has given us to make his glory known. My wife reminds me every day to drink more water, right? It's simple things that we can go, I'm gonna pursue health so that I can honor God with all aspects of my life. And then the last one is to pray. A simple prayer that you could say, that we could say every day this morning, and it's this, or every day this week. God, where are you already working and how can I join you? And the reason I put that up is because I think it's silly sometimes for us to think that it's our job to take God into places that he's not or to move in ways that God can't move himself, right? But in fact, if we believe God is sovereign, he is working in and around us in every aspect of the city, in our relationships, in our jobs. And all we have to do sometimes is go, all right, God, make me aware of where you're working and give me the courage to step into that. Lots of options 
for us to take forward of how we can walk with Jesus daily. But here's the last thing I would say is that we are committed to doing this with you. This is not a leadership like, hey, y'all go be the church. Like, we're just gonna chill. This is what we do with our families and with our community groups and with our relationships. And we wanna invite you in to do that with us. So would you stand with me? All of this we do because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the way that he's changed our lives. And so we wanna magnify him together this morning as we sing and worship.
Would you guys grab a seat for just a minute? Whenever we at Fellowship send out global workers, we believe that they continue to be part of our family, part of our body, and an extension of our ministry. So uh, I have a couple I want you to meet and hear from uh, who are global workers that we send. This is Aaron and Marky Babiar, and uh, they have been part of Fellowship for a long, long time. In fact, uh, been on staff with us before. Uh, Aaron now is, is leading a, an organization of ministry where he uh, helps uh, support and encourage and train and equip and a lot of other things he's going to tell you about in just a minute. But probably the most important thing about these guys, we share a granddaughter. And she's beautiful. She is. Perhaps, she's so beautiful. Yeah, she might be in the history of grandchildren one of the most beautiful grandchildren ever born. Undeniable. Just saying. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. Um, so anyway, I wanted you to hear from them, and so Aaron, 
Tell us a little bit about the ministry God's given you to do. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Doug. Uh, we equip frontline global workers to survive and thrive in ministry. So whether they're coming from or going to or already in uh, a place of service, uh, it's just a variety of different missions contexts. So these might be missionaries who are involved with refugees who are fleeing war and poverty or fighting human trafficking or doing Bible translation. Or maybe they're doing orphan care or church planting in difficult places where it's illegal to share the gospel. So we just get to serve missionaries in a number of different ways where they're at, as long as their point is uh, evangelism and discipleship in the name of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's really our focus and, and what we get to do. Okay, so now you guys are in a major transition. And yeah. so I want you to share that a little bit about what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are just blessed to have lived in Northwest Arkansas for about 20 years this go around. Uh, but uh, yeah, some pretty big changes. First of all, we sold our house, so like we're, we're moving, moving. Uh, there's a little bit of degree of permanence here, and uh, we've become nomadic, and that's really for a couple of big reasons. One is we've just increasingly had global workers reach out and ask us to spend time with them in the field, and sometimes it's not just the global workers, it's sometimes missions organizations uh, asking us to spend some time and do some training and coaching, and so that's one big reason. The other reason, for those of us that know us, Marky has extremely difficult health challenges, and medically, we've been advi advised multiple times we shouldn't live here. Um, there's actually very few places in the world where her body will allow her to thrive. And so, yeah, we're just beginning a process. We're nomadic right now or homeless, whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, but we, we intend to be in the Western Cape of South Africa uh, here the, this fall because that's actually one of the places that her body does really well. Okay. All right. So um, tell us how, how we... Because like I said, we, we will feel like you're an extension of our family and our ministry. How yeah. can we continue to partner and support with yeah. you? Well, we crave prayer, and we realize it's hard to know how to pray for people. So we hope you will use your phone and get the QR code or stop at the booth after the service. We'll be back there. But we just love to encourage people to sign up for our newsletter and pray for us. And, of course, there's other ways to partner as well. We'd love for you to partner with us. But track with us, if you would. Lift us up before the Father. Before the Father because partnership, it's not... It's not just money. It's, it really is prayer. There's a, there's a longer-term relationship, and we'd love to, to meet different people. And so just, yeah, be, be with us in that way if you would. And if you've got any questions, let us know or come say hi personally. We'd love to, love to tell you more. Okay, so would you stand? In, their, in response to their request for prayer, we're going to pray for them. Uh, speaking of prayer, again, as we do every week, team, that if God has put something on your heart you want to be prayed with, prayed for, our prayer team would be glad to meet with you over here and pray. So would you join with me as we pray for these guys as they move on? Lord, again, um, as Hunter reminded us, you're already working all around the world, and you just invite us to join you. We don't have to go figure it out and stir something up and make something happen on our own. And Lord, you have invited Aaron and Marky to join you in what you're doing uh, in the lives and the ministries of global workers around the world. So we lift them up for you, to you right now. Lord, would you bless them? Uh, would you provide for them? Would you protect them? Would you guide them? Lord, would you multiply the work of their hands that it may produce great fruit to the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to the extension of his kingdom? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, fellowship.